0: Welcome to the Bridge Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from our senior pastor, Neil Haney. To access other resources or to find out more information about our church, visit thebridgespringfield.com or find us on social media at The Bridge Springfield. Anyway, wonderful. Uh, you know, um, I, I, I loved um, seeing Daisy run up and Try to be with her dad on stage, we broke west of that about a year ago when, when I 'm up here, so uh, yeah, so that uh, that's work you worked out for me. I hope it works out for him soon. Lily got tired of chasing him down the, the aisle, so um, Hello, <laughs> Good morning, welcome, welcome, welcome online, folks. welcome to you. Um, wow. Well, it seems impossible that we're wrapping up a series that we started actually uh, at the end of, of January. So this, this series has been going on for a while, The Heart of the New Covenant, and I really thought that, see, I preach this Sunday and next Sunday, and then I'm, I'm out of here for three months. I don't know what you people are going to do, but I'm not going to, I mean, you, you may be here, but I won't after that. But, but um, I, I, I just want to say how much I love this church, how much I love my job. Um, being a pastor of a church uh, is emotionally and spiritually taxing, but I am unusually energized by by just being here and, and working with Wes and Dennis and the staff that we have. And you guys bless me so much. This is the best church on earth as far as I'm concerned. And um, that's why I've been able to be here for 35 years. I, you know, so many pastors are burnt out after 10 years. And it's because the people are so difficult to pastor. And, and you guys have been wonderful. So <clears throat> I will come back. I am coming back. Jesus is coming back, and so am I. So, yeah. So let me try to get started here. This is, yeah. Um, so you can go ahead and start the sermon clock. Oh, no, you already started it. Okay. So... We're nearing the end of this sermon series, and I actually thought that this morning was going to be the last morning. Last night, I could, I, as I was kind of walking through it again, I realized that I'm going to have to give... Uh, so I'm going to be talking about Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 17 this morning. I was going to go all the way through 20, but as I was, as I was working through this, I realized that there's a section at the end, those last three verses about prayer, that really need attention. They need undivided attention. And so, um, you know, Dennis and I are committed to one-point sermons. And so I didn't want to go into something, you know, at the end of the armor of God we're going to be talking about this morning, um, I didn't want to go into a whole other subject on prayer. And so I'm going to save that till next week. And I'm excited about that because this this church really loves prayer. Uh we have a we have a we have prayer teams that pray seven days a week. I mean, there's some there's prayer going on seven days a week here at this church and, and it's been that way for a long time. And uh and so for the last ten years anyway, uh we've had daily prayer at our church, corporate prayer, and I think that's part of what we're seeing happening right now is answers to those prayers. So uh, I really appreciate the prayer that's happening in our church. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on uh, uh, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. And I'm, I'm going to preach here in just a moment. All the preliminary stuff is out of the way. So, one more thing. <laughs> I just kind of want to summarize where we've been because, you know, this is the heart of the New Covenant and, and we've been talking about all kinds of amazing things. Uh, we love the gospel that Paul presents as the gospel of grace. And we believe that the gospel of grace is the heart of the new covenant. And we've learned the eternal purpose of God, wanting to be with us as his children for all eternity. We've learned that, that um, even though we were dead in our sins, that God's love... Uh, was so powerful and so for us that he, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, he sent his son to die for us. And Jesus has raised us with himself and seated us with him at the right hand of God. We learned that the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers have been made one body, and that the mystery that was hidden for all ages has been revealed the mystery of the two seas, Christ and the church. Christ as The Son of God, God the Son coming in human flesh. And this thing that we call the church that was never even dreamed of uh, before Christ's resurrection has suddenly come into existence. And and this has been God's purpose from from all eternity to to make us his children and his people and to be his body and the bride of Christ. So we've talked about that. We've talked about salvation through faith and grace and, and, and that's what we have to do. It's, it's, it's salvation by God's grace and putting our faith in Jesus that brings us into a saving relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and then we've been talking about how do we walk this out uh, in, in our everyday life, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we kind of have wrapped up this, this last section of, um, so far uh, Talking about relationships. And last week, Dennis did a phenomenal job talking about the relationship of husbands and wives and Christ in the church. And I have never heard a better teaching on marital relationships, the relationship between husband and wife. And the whole submission thing, uh you know, Dennis made it very, 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 very clear that women are not inferior to men. Wives are not inferior to their husbands, and and you know it, it was the most powerful, most um, truthful teaching I've ever heard, and probably the most colorful <laughs> teaching I've ever heard on that on that subject. So, if you didn't hear it, please go back and listen to that. Dennis did not get to the two other relationships that are highlighted. In, um, in, in Ephesians, and beginning of, of Ephesians 6, uh, talk, talking about children and parents. And, you know, if, for us Christians, I mean, this should go without saying, that children should respect and honor and obey their parents, and parents should love and, and not exasperate and not, and not cause their children to be, become frustrated and angry, and then um, in the whole subject of slaves and, and masters, we don't have slavery anymore in our country. Not, not the kind of slavery that Paul is talking about. But we do have employers and employees. And we can just take that whole discussion and transfer it right over to that relationship where employers should be kind and gracious to their employees. And employees should work hard not for their employers, but as unto the Lord. okay, so so that's that. Here's something really interesting. I mean, Paul has been you know talking about love and acceptance and unity and these loving relationships and how to love each other. and all of a sudden, he just shifts gears in, in, in verse 10 of chapter six and and, and kind of throws everything into shock, because at, in the, at the beginning of verse 10, he suddenly makes this announcement, it's a call to war. It's a call to take up arms and, and be involved in a war. And so um, Paul has what I would call a good news, bad news scenario, okay? Um, and I was thinking about that this morning. And, um, and so I thought, you know, I, I need a really good story about good news, bad news, and so I looked up good news, bad news, and here's what I got. An artist asked a gallery owner, He said, uh, How are my paintings doing? Do we have any interest in selling, you know, in a buyer buying any of my paintings? And the, the gallery owner said, Well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. He said, The good news is that there was a guy that asked me if, if once, The artist died if the value of the paintings would go up. And I told him yes, and he bought all 15 paintings. He said, that's wonderful. What's the bad news? He said, the guy that bought your paintings was your doctor. (laughs) Okay. So, another good news, bad news scenario, and this is a little more serious. What if you were to visit the Ukraine and you had no idea that there was a war going on. And so you flew into Kiev and uh, you went to a hotel and 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 you checked in and the hotel was beautiful and you you know you went up to your room and during the night you kept hearing this noise and you thought, "Man, they must be roofing this place." Because of all this banging and you know and noise and and so the next morning, you know, you get up and you go downstairs and you're like, man, what's going on? I heard all kinds of noise. It just really, is, is there a construction happening close by? Or and the, the guy across the desk says, don't you know what's happening here? We're under siege. We're, you, you know, we, we're being attacked by, by another country. It might be a bit of a shock to you if you didn't know that. But what would your attitude be then? Would you be like, "Oh, I think I'll go out and enjoy the scenery"? And no, of course not. You would take shelter. You would do things to protect yourself. Or what if you, you know, you 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 you, you love just going home and kicking off your shoes and having dinner with your family and watching a little TV and you know having having nice family time at night and and but you found out someone. A phone call came after you got home and you found out that there was, there was someone at work that was so angry with you that they were plotting to kill you and that they had actually determined how they were going to do it. And so the phone call was just a warning. Hey, tonight you better be aware. You may be, your, your home, your family may be attacked by an intruder because there's someone that's super angry with you. I think the way that you would function from that point until that was resolved would be a little different than your normal evening plans with your family, right? Well, this is what Paul is doing. He's saying, hey, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you have, the, the bad news is you have an enemy who hates you. In fact, there's an entire organizational structure of enemies that hate you and want to take you out. However, the good news is that if you're smart, you can be protected, thoroughly protected. That's what Paul is basically saying here to the Ephesians. And it's a bit of a shock because, like I said, he's up until now, he's talked about niceties and all the wonderful things it means about the gospel, and then... All the ways that relationships work and everything, and all of a sudden he says, "By the way, you have an enemy that wants to destroy you, and here's what you need to do." And he saves it to the end because I think you know sometimes you save the most important things to the last thing you say to someone. Now, I know that some of you here, uh, you you came to Christ because you wanted to be saved, you wanted to have peace with God. You wanted to enjoy all the things about about walking with the Lord and all those things that, you know, having a family, you're part of a family now, Uh, you enjoy coming to church, you enjoy worship, you know, and and life is good, God is good. And and you didn't really know, you didn't really realize that there was an actual enemy that hates you. You know, I, I was shocked recently when I was talking to a young woman who, well, she's, young, she's younger than me. She's not really young now. Um, because I, when I was in seminary, I had the privilege of leading her to Christ. And she was shocked that I believed. Um, I, had, I was having dinner with her one night. This is when I was youth pastoring in, in Pineville, Arkansas. I was having dinner with her one night, and she was just completely blown away that I believed the Bible was true in every aspect of it. And she said, So you're telling me you have a master, or you're working on a master's degree. You have a, ba- a bachelor's degree. You're working on a master. You're an educated man, and you believe that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry ground because God dried it up and then drowned the, the Egyptian army. And you believe that's a true story. I said, 100%. She said, I, I just can't believe you. But then... Months later, I had the privilege of, of, of seeing her become a Christian. And she ended up going to, she was living in Boston. Um, she moved to Boston after I went back to seminary. And she ended up going to Gordon-Conwell, which is a, a conservative seminary, and becoming a Presbyterian pastor. And she married a Presbyterian pastor. And they're the only conservative pastors in the entire state that she lives in, in terms of the Presbyterian church. I was talking to her about a year ago, and uh, the subject came up about integrated healing, and it's a healing ministry that we do here. We deal with with, um, wounds, emotional wounds, and then demonic parasites that infest these wounds. And she said, are you telling me that you believe that demons are real entities? I said, you mean to tell me that you're a conservative Christian and you don't believe that? And she said, Neil, right now, I'm back in 1984, sitting at a table (laughs) in Shoney's, listening to you talk about the Red Sea and the Israelites. I did not know that these things were anything other than mental illness. (laughs) I said, come on. Did Jesus, was he just fighting mental illness when he cast out these demons? And so she, she said, you know, I believe you, I trust you tell me about this and I've actually had the privilege of training her in how to do this ministry but I'm going to tell you something when you become a Christian you sign up for spiritual warfare and you may not even know that you have an enemy and you're in a war whether you know it or like it or not how do we know this is true you remember when Jesus asked his disciples towards the end of his ministry, who do people say that I am? And, and Peter, who always got it wrong, finally got it right. He speaks up and says, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's right. And he says, I tell you the truth, and, and sometimes we get Peter and the rock mixed up because Peter... Jesus changed Peter's name from Cephas I mean from uh, Simon. Simon to Peter. Simon meant like a rock and Peter meant like a boulder or something. But but when he says uh, on this rock he's not talking about Peter who was the first pope. He's talking about on the rock on the foundation of me as Messiah, the son of God who is going to accomplish your salvation upon this rock. This gospel, this good news, I will build my church on this. That's what he's talking about. And he says this, And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, two things I want to point out here. This is the first time, as far as I know, that Jesus ever mentions the word church. I will build my church. Jesus is building this church. So so the church is that mystery that, that God was bringing into existence. A people of God, a new race of people filled with the spirit of God, filled with the life of God, who would be his people for eternity. But we here represent the church militant. The church triumphant are those who have already gone to heaven. The church militant is the church still here on earth. But he says this... That the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What does that imply? What does it imply? There's another team on the field, besides the church, and it's against us. But what does he say the outcome will be? Victory for us. Victory for us. OK? But there is a war. Very similar, uh, very similar statement in John 10, verse 10. This is so similar, it it may not look like it on the surface. Do we have have that scripture, John 10, 10? Maybe we don't. But it says, Jesus says this, and and he's talking about his people, his sheep. Again, it's his church, it's his sheep. These are my sheep, the, the ones who hear my voice, the ones who come to me, the ones who follow me. He's talking about the church. And he says the thief, and he's talking about Satan, the enemy, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Remember that. I, had a, I was listening. A group of pastors were, were in this meeting, and the speaker said this. Satan, is, he doesn't like you, and he is really angry with you, and he's coming against you. And, guys, he doesn't want to slow you down. He wants to kill you. <laughs> I, I think we need to take this very, very seriously. Because we're going to take very, very seriously what we need to do about it when we come to that part about the armor. But he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Just realize that. But I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. Eternal life, abundant life, great life, wonderful life. But be aware that there's an enemy that wants to destroy you. And so I want to go to my text now. And the title of my message this morning is Fit to Stand. And you're going to understand that as I read this. I want you to notice how many times in the first few verses the word stand is used. Because it means to stand your ground. We take ground against the enemy and then we stand our ground. And then we take ground against the enemy and then we stand our ground. And we're not pushed backwards and guys, we have to know what we're doing not to be pushed backwards. we got to understand the battle that we're in not to be pushed backwards because I'm afraid that the church has been very, very ignorant just like my friend who, didn't, who thought that demonic spirits were mental illness. Come on, man. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Look around. Look at the evil in the world. Look at your own life. Man, this week has been like wading through molasses for me. The enemy knew I was going to be talking about this and, I mean, broke my glasses twice this week. Now, when you break your glasses and you need your glasses to see and you're the one fixing them, it presents a bit of a problem. (laughs) But I am more than a conqueror. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so let me just read the text. and, And... I want to point out a couple of things real quick. Okay. So, uh, Ephesians 10, or Ephesians 6, sorry, there aren't 10 chapters. Ephesians 6, verse 10. i point out some things real quickly, and then we'll read the whole thing. Paul says, finally. In other words, this is the last thing I'm going to say, but that's not all this means. Is that scripture? Do we have that scripture? We don't have Ephesians. We don't have the text? No, the wrong one? Wrong, okay. Well, then you just have to listen. I'll try to be very clear. The word finally, and maybe somebody can help find that scripture for me. I'd love it to be up here. It's in the ESV. Finally, which actually means from now on or from this time forward is what this is saying. From this time forward. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. I'm going to come back and talk about that. It's really good. How? How do we be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might? Put on the whole armor of God. That's how. Why? That you will be able to stand, there it is, stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. My friend and my pastor, Presbyterian pastor. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. There it is again stand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand therefore. having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So good, so good. Two things that you need to know in order to to be fit to stand is that you need to be strong in God's strength and you need to have on His armor. Because you have an enemy and you're in a war. So, verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Guys, that, that is a tall order and it, it is so important that we understand this man I have said probably a dozen times from this stage in the last six to eight months we need to live by this mantra Jesus I can't but you can we have his spirit in us so we can live this Christian life I gotta, I gotta share this conversation I have a, a young friend who is new in the Lord and um <laughs> I'm constantly needing to encourage him. He gets very discouraged, and he, he has not uh, digested the gospel yet. So he thinks that God is mad at him ongoingly. <clears throat> and he thinks somehow, he still thinks that he has to live this life in his own strength. I can't convince him otherwise. So I got this this week, I got this text from him. It's impossible to live the Christian life. I can't do it. What do I do? (laughs) And I'm thinking, hallelujah. He's getting it. This is the way I responded. I got this frog in my throat again this morning. Sorry. You say to Jesus, Jesus, I can't live this Christian life. Just admit it. And he will say to you, I never expected you to. Let me live my life through you. And you say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I can't, but you can. There it is. And he will say to you, you can't do this any other way. You can't live the Christian life. It's impossible, and I'm glad you're finally realizing that. Let me do it. (laughs) To which he responded, typical response, are we going to hell because we can't do it? What did I just say? Okay, so I responded this, this way. I said, no way, exclamation point. We can't do it. So he paid all our debt for all our sins and then moves inside of us to live through us. But it takes a while to learn how to let him do it. But until then, it's all grace. Then after then, it's all Grace. It's all grace under the new covenant. It's all grace, my friends. So here's the good news. You have the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ living in you. And he will fight your battles for you. But you need to cooperate with that. And so Paul is explaining to the Ephesian church how to do that. How do we cooperate with what he's provided? We can't live this Christian life through our own strength. He has to do it. And we can't face our enemy in our own strength. He has to do it. So first of all, we have to know who our enemy is. So let's look at this. So be strong in the Lord and his mighty strength. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let me tell you something. Our enemy is very powerful, very organized, very intelligent, and very destructive. I believe that the Old Testament tells us of the fall of Satan, that he was jealous of us, that we were created in the image of God, and he wasn't. Until we came along, he was the highest creature that everyone created, and he was not okay being usurped or being uh, uh, less than us. And so he decided to fight God, and he lost, and he got kicked out of heaven. So he's like, if, if I can't hurt you, the next best thing is to hurt your children, right? <clears throat> so he goes after us. And he's done a pretty good job of fighting us, honestly. And too often, we as Christians experience defeat because we don't understand who we're up against, and we don't understand the weapons of his warfare against us. And I want to tell you, the enemy uh, in third world countries is very overt in his attacks. He's very high profile. Witch doctors, voodoo, all kinds of spiritual things happening that, that people see right in front of them, and they're terrified. The enemy's either, either a bully or a deceiver. For those in the West who are so intelligent, who no longer believe in spiritual forces, and, you know, uh, in fact, we've... You know, we live under this naturalistic kind of culture. And we've, as as Christians, we've been affected by the fact that that much of our culture doesn't believe in the supernatural, doesn't believe in the spiritual realm. And so the enemy's just fine with that. Just don't believe in me. That's cool. In Monsters, Inc., you know who was the most powerful monster? It was Randall. He could disappear, and you couldn't see him. So you didn't know where he was coming from. The enemy's kind of disappeared. He's kind of faded into the woodwork. And he attacks us in these ways. There's four D's. It's not a four-point sermon. Just write this down somewhere. His weapons are deception, discouragement, distractions for our ultimate destruction. He wants to destroy us. Jesus said that the, the devil, uh, you know, he's talking to Pharisees and, you know, he had this argument with them and they said, you know, you're, you're a demon-possessed Samaritan. And, and Jesus says, um, and, and we're, our father is Abraham and God. And Jesus said, well, if that was true, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. But he said, your father is the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. That's our enemy. He's a liar, a murderer. He's a, he's a deceiver. And, guys, here's what he does to the church. He comes alongside you and he says, You're nothing. You're a nobody. God doesn't love you. God's angry with you. All this grace stuff is a lie, it's a license to sin, and God would never give us a license to sin. And, by the way, you just don't really understand the Bible. And you can't really know God. And you can't really hear his voice. And he just lies, 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 lies. And unfortunately, because most of the church doesn't really know the truth and the word, we're like, really? Yeah, really. Listen, guys, I've heard his voice. In 2012, he lied me into pretty much insanity. I lost... Every confidence that I was still saved, that God was still in my life. I just believed that I was a nothing and a no one, and I had failed him completely, and he was done, d- done with me. And one night in early December, <clears throat> I woke up at 2 in the morning, and this voice in my head said, You want to know why I'm rejecting you? I thought it was God's voice. And this voice said, and for two hours straight told me all the things that I had done wrong the things I had failed to do right, and how I had failed God and the church and my family. Three days later, I was in the hospital again. And God met me with the truth, and the truth set me free. But I'm going to tell you, those deceptions, those lies were powerful. This goes along with the second weapon of, of discouragement. If he can get you discouraged, he can roll right over you. In my devotional book I read every day, it streams in the desert. It says, do not become discouraged. Because if you become discouraged, then you're defeated. Discouragement, it's, it's it's taking your courage away. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We should be joyful we should be joyful over the fact of the gospel, of, of the gospel of grace, over who we are in Christ, over how much God loves us. All the truths of the word of God, all the truths of the new covenant, all the truths of the gospel, all the truth of God's grace, all the truth of who we are in Christ, all those things I listed at first, that brings us joy. The enemy wants to deceive us, strip all that away and discourage us. And then he uses Distractions. To keep us just so busy with unimportant stuff, worrying over stuff, that we get our eyes off of Jesus. You know, it's interesting when Paul in in the book of Joy, Philippians, says, Rejoice always, and again I say, Rejoice, walk in joy, let joy be your strength. He says, And by the way, don't be anxious about anything because it will destroy your joy. And we don't have to be anxious, that's a command. Don't be anxious. He tells us what to do. But he wants to pull our eyes off of Jesus because when he can do that, then he can can mess with us. He can defeat us. And then finally, he just wants to destroy us. I have a a very dear friend and brother. I love as much as I do my own brother. Brother. But he has allowed, because he hasn't put on the armor of God, he has allowed the enemy to destroy his marriage, to destroy his relationship with his children, to destroy his, um, is in the process of destroying his body through alcohol. He's a believer. He's a Christian believer. But he has, he has refused to put on the armor of God. At least the parts that he's responsible for. And the enemy is destroying his life. And eventually, I truly believe the enemy will kill him. And I believe it will come through suicide. I honestly do. Because he's allowed the enemy to do this to him. He's deceived, he's discouraged, he's distracted, and he's becoming destroyed. So what do we do? What do we do? The enemy is very... Let me say this just for the record. I have to say this. If I told you Vladimir Putin is invading Ukraine, is that a true statement? Yes, it is. No, it's not. Vladimir Putin hadn't been anywhere close to Ukraine since the war started. He's sitting in an office in in Moscow, in the Kremlin, making phone calls and giving orders. His troops, his... Generals and sergeants and lieutenants and whatever order they have are in Ukraine fighting his war. He's nowhere near. When I say that the enemy, the devil, or or Paul or anyone says, you know, like, like this week I felt like Satan's been attacking me, well, the angel, fallen angel Lucifer, is nowhere near me, isn't thinking about me at all, I promise you. He is not omnipresent like God. He's not everywhere at once. He's an entity. He's, he's a created thing. He's a fallen angel. And I believe that he's hanging out in Beijing or in, in uh, Moscow or probably in, uh, in Washington, D.C. I think that's one of his favorite places to be. Okay, I shouldn't have gone there. He's nowhere near me. I want to tell you something else. He, he has this incredible... Order, structure. Let me just read it. Um, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over darkness, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. He's got rank and file demons that some are huge and some are small enough to live inside of us and harass us. Things like shame and fear and and anxiety and depression and um, you know you name it, uh, false guilt. But there is, a, there is a structure and an order. The enemy's powerful, he's evil, and he's cunning. And even though Jesus defeated Satan and all his minions on the cross, they have not conceded defeat, and they have not been ultimate or utterly destroyed yet. Don't let anybody tell you that Satan's just a toothless, you know, lion. I'm going to tell you something. He still bites, and he bites hard. And he does it through this structure I'm talking about. You know, John Wimber used to tell this. In, in World War II, when the Normandy invasion happened, Hitler was doomed to be defeated. When, when the Allied forces successfully invaded Europe... His doom was sealed. Hitler's doom was sealed. But there were more Allied casualties from D Day to VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, than there was before the Normandy invasion. So don't let anybody tell you that Satan is a powerless enemy. Because just like with the man I was talking about, the enemy's destroying his life and he's allowing it to happen. And he wants to destroy your life too. But we don't have to let this happen because God has given us this armor. I'm just going to unpack this quickly. Stand, therefore, fastened on with a belt of truth, having the belt of truth fastened on you. The, the, the belt, the belt of truth, truth the, the, the belt in the Romans, on the Roman soldier kind of held the, the armor together, at least the central parts of it. And the truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who you are in Christ, the truth of the fact that you stand in peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that you now stand and that now never changes, the fact that you're one with Christ, that you're holy and righteous in Christ, that you, your salvation is sealed, that, that, that um, the Holy Spirit of God lives in so all those things are true and it's those truths that we can count on that will keep us strong in the, in the evil day. And by the way, the evil day is not some far-off future thing that's going to happen when the Antichrist shows up. The evil day is the day that you face evil. Whatever temptation that is, whatever discouraging news you get, whatever, what, whatever is facing you that feels horrible and you, like you're under attack, that's the evil day for you. I've had some evil days this week. But I'm, I'm here. <laughs> I don't think the enemy wanted me to preach this this morning, honestly. Now, look, I, I don't, I'm, I'm also not one of these people that finds a demon under every bush, honestly. I have a, I have a dear friend, pastor friend, that, that preaches against, on spiritual warfare every sermon. Every sermon is about spiritual warfare. I think that's a little overmuch. <laughs> I think we need to be preaching the gospel. And the gospel is we win, you know? So... <laughs> Yeah, let's be aware of our enemy, and let's have this armor on, but let's don't get over, like, you know, too, keep, our, keep your eyes on Jesus, not on Satan, okay? All right. So the truth of God in Christ and in the Scripture, we need to know the truth of who we are and who he is and the relationship so that we can stand in the evil day. And then it says, having put on the breast, breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate was what covered the heart, the vital organs. Did you know that you are covered in the breastplate of righteousness? Amen. Guys, by the way, we don't take our armor off. Do you, at night, do you take your armor off and hang it on the, you know, the bedpost and lean it up against the wall and stuff like that? Some of this stuff we put it on once and for all. Some things we have to take up daily, and I'll, I'll tell you about that. But anyway, we have righteousness. We are righteous as a gift of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we put our faith in him, we are made righteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we're, we have righteousness. But we need to, to make sure that we, we, we trust that. Because doubt ends up being chinks in our armor, and that's where we get attacked. We need to, to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is, is, our, is our footing, is, is the foundational thing that we need to stand in. Let me just share this one scripture with you, Romans 1, or Romans 5 1 through 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified, received righteousness by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That's the gospel. We stand in the gospel, we know that we're right with God. We know that, that, that God loves us, that Christ has done all this for us, and we stand in the gospel and re, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, knowing that we win. And so we need to be ready not only to, to stand but also to share our victory with others. Why we, why we have this foundation of grace and, and of truth that we stand in, this gospel, this good news. And then the shield of faith, this is so important. A Roman shield was made out of like it was it was wood and it was about four feet by two and a half feet, and it was thick wood with a handle, of course. And then it had uh, it was covered with leather, and then it was uh, it had a, a wooden frame around it. And what these uh, Roman soldiers would do is they would soak this leather in water. They would soak it in water so that when the enemy would fire flaming arrows. They would put their shield up, and those arrows would hit that wet um, leather, and it wouldn't penetrate through the wood. And the the wetness of the leather would extinguish the the fiery dart or, or arrow. Guys, the enemy is constantly firing lies at us. You're nothing. You're no good. God doesn't love you. You're not going to heaven. You're, you're, you, you don't perform well enough. You're, you're not done good, enough good works. Whatever it is, he's constantly firing these arrows at us. And, and faith is our shield to put up and say, just like Jesus did when he was under temptation by Satan, it is written, boom, that's extinguished. You're not saved. No, I, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Boom, extinguished. You understand what I'm saying? I don't have enough time to unpack this like I want to. But, but when Satan fires these lies at us and this discouragement at us, it's our faith that, that extinguishes that stuff. And it's, it's, it's knowing the Word of God. That's our, yeah, it, it's knowing the truth and having faith and trust in that truth that extinguishes those fiery darts. The helmet of salvation, guys, that protects our heads. You know, the, the mortal wound is, is a head wound. When when I go riding my bike, I don't put an armor on my whole body, but I do wear a helmet. Because if I fall off my bike and I I land on my arm, I could break a bone. But if I hit my head, it could mean certain death or at least brain damage. And so we, we have to understand that salvation keeps us from the mortal wound of the enemy. Our salvation is never in question. Once you put it on, you don't take it off. You are saved. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him, you're saved. You have the helmet of salvation. And just sleep with that thing on because because we always have it. 24-7, 365, we have the helmet of salvation. But here's the thing. The sword of the Spirit, it was a dagger. It was actually about 18 inches long. It wasn't some big long sword because Roman soldiers often were engaged in hand-to-hand combat on the front lines. And the Word of God is our offensive, the one offensive weapon against the enemy. And we, we need to have... So if you don't know the Word, you don't have a blade. If you know a little bit of the Word, you're fighting with a toothpick. We really need to understand the Word of God. We need to know it. We need to learn it. I'm not big on Scripture memory. I'm big on Scripture familiarization. I want to know, know the Word well enough... That I, that I have a weapon against the enemy when he comes to attack me. If I knew in 2012 what I know now, he would never have taken me out for a year. And I will say this, on my sabbatical, the Lord has already told me that I'm going to be reading over and over again, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesian, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Over and over and over again. Because I want to have a nice, sharp sword when the enemy comes against me. And by the way, just to say this, I don't know about you, but I wake up in the morning and so often the enemy is condemning me, he's accusing me, and I, I wake up out of my sleep feeling horrible. I just feel condemned. I feel, and I have to get up and preach the gospel to myself all over again. I mean, it's pretty regular basis. I, I get up and, I, and I, I have you know the Bible and, and you know my streams in the desert but I'm reading some books Andrew Farley has a book on grace uh, there's a daily devotional grace um, that, that, that I use but, but I need to remind myself of the truths of the gospel of grace every day so I can be established in that and so that I can have that sword of the spirit to defend now let me just close with this <clears throat> and I'm closing I just want to tell you We win. And you win, okay? Make sure that you're clothed in the armor of God. Be sharpening your sword. But listen to this. Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 54, 17 says this. No weapon formed against you will prosper. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And Romans 8, just listen to this. Who will bring a a charge against God's elect? And that's us. It is God who justifies. Who is it? To condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Jesus is praying for us constantly. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? So, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We're more than conquerors, guys. But we're in a battle. And let's fight well. And let's stand our ground. And let's make sure that we have the armor fully on and that we have that sword, that shield of faith and that sword of the spirit to use against the enemy's attacks. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you received a fresh revelation of the gospel of grace and that you experience the goodness of God in your everyday life. For more content like this or to stream our services live, visit thebridgespringfield.com. Have an awesome week.